On this episode of Beetle News Briefs, we welcome our special guest, Don Danneman of The Circle, who talks about their big 60s hits, being managed by Brian Epstein, and touring with The Beatles. Here we go. We welcome The Beatles! Hi, everybody. This is John here. This is Paul. George. And Ringo. And we're very happy to be on your program once again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to show number 82 of Beetle News Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Marinucci, and I hope you're all staying safe. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Don Danman of The Circle. The Circle had two big top 20 hits in 1966. Red Rubber Ball, which was written by Paul Simon, and Turn Down Day. Well, something that Beatle fans might not be aware of, at least not all Beatle fans, is that they were managed for a time by Brian Epstein. And Don Danman talks about how they got together with Brian Epstein and how they were also on tour with the Beatles and what it was like being on tour as a support band for the Beatles. So here goes this interview. This is a delightful interview, and we hope you enjoy it. We're talking with Don Danneman of The Circle, who, if you are a 60s music fan, as I presume you all are, remember Red Rubber Ball and Turn Down Day, their their hits. But they also had some very big interaction with the Beatles. They toured with the Beatles. They were managed by Brian Epstein. And we're gonna we're gonna talk with Don Danneman about this. Hello, Don. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Steve. Good to be here. Um, let's start with the um, what what came first? Did the did the um, the meetup with with Brian Epstein come first, or did did the did the Red Rubber Ball come first? No, uh, the meeting with Brian Epstein came first. Okay, and. Uh, basically, uh, the story behind that, and, you know, it, it cut me off if I'm going too long on stuff, but here's uh-huh. the story behind that. The Rondells, a college fraternity band mm-hmm. from Lafayette College, um, starting in 1961, and a really good fraternity band, um, we played in Atlantic City two summers, the summer of sixty and summer of 65. Mm-hmm. At the end of the summer of 65, when we were basically going to go our separate ways, right at the end of the summer, a gentleman named Nat Weiss came into the Alibi Bar where we were playing in Atlantic City, and uh, he heard us and he introduced himself. Hey, my name is Nat Weiss. I'm a matrimonial lawyer, but I am a good friend of Beatle manager Brian Epstein, and you guys are really good. And we are actually starting a management company here in the States. Brian and I will be partners. And you're, I think you're really good. Why don't you contact me and maybe we'll get something going? So. We thought, ah, baloney, we've heard a lot of that nonsense, you know, no, not, no way. Anyway, so the summer ends. When, now, when, when, now, when, when was this? Was 65. This that is was 65. Summer of 65. Okay. 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 All right. All right. So 
um, now, summer ends. Um, of the four of us, I am now working for my dad in the sheet metal factory. <laughs> Tom and Marty are still back at Lafayette. Tom had six months to go. Marty had a year to go. And Earl, original keyboard player, uh, was off in medical school. And I just thought, you know, he gave me a card. Why don't I call him and, you know, see if the, if it's maybe real. So I called Nat Weiss, and he uh, he remembered me. Oh, yeah, Don, hi, how are you? Yeah. Hey, why don't you come down to the city? Now, I'm living with my folks in East Chester, New York, a suburb of New York. Mm-hmm. And Nat lived in the city, and he says, yeah, come on down. I'll introduce you to Brian. So my I light up, really? Okay. Uh, he gave me a, a time and an address, and it was on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It was a walk-up. It was uh, like the second floor of a small building. Went down with a buddy of mine. Uh, we go, and there's a party. You know, Nat is not there, but there's a party. We walk in, and we're hanging around, and we're both kind of shy, so, you know, we're not talking hardly to anybody except each other. Anyway, a little time goes by, and in walks Nat. I go up to him. Oh, yeah, Don, come on. I'm going to introduce you to Brian. I follow Nat downstairs, and there, right outside the door, parked on the street, is a limo. And Nat, in a very dramatic pose, he opens the door, and with his hands, he beckons me into the limo. And I go into the limo, and he sits me down, and there I am sitting across from Brian Epstein. So I'm trying to be cool, (laughs) and Nat introduces me, all right? Mm -hmm. So whenever I tell this, I have to say, this is going to sound like I'm really bragging, so I'm not what Nat introduced me as. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that, and now I'll tell you how Nat introduces me. So he goes, Brian Epstein... I would like you to meet Don Daneman, one of the finest musicians I know. Well, I gulped. I mean, I, I'm okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty decent guitar player. The finest, probably not. Anyway, I got to shake Brian's hand, and uh, we did a you know a short exchange. You know, Brian, wow, we're such Beatles fans, and it's so great to meet you. And if we can get something going, you know, that would be wonderful. You know, with our with our band. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was short, and Brian was a true gentleman. Anytime in all the interactions we've had with him, he was always a really nice person and very accommodating. And and it was sort of along the lines of, oh, Don, yes, it's great to meet you, Nat. Nat has spoken very highly of you, and uh, perhaps uh, we can get something going. So anyway, after a short uh, back-and-forth exchange, Nat... Uh, in the same dramatic way that he beckoned me into the limo, he beckoned me out with his hands, you know. So out I went. I'm now standing on the street. Door closes. And I picture this as a a video movie being shot. The camera is behind me. So you see me kind of in silhouette. It's kind of, you know, it's at night. And the limo slowly pulls off down the street, disappears into the darkness, and then fade out. So, obviously, this was a huge deal. I just met Brian Epstein. That is for real. Um, I called the guys at Lafayette, uh, Tom and Marty, who were still at uh, Lafayette, like I say. I said, hey, guys, 
this is real. I just met Brian Epstein. So this got us to set up a makeshift recording studio with our own personal couple of tape recorders that we had and our mixers that we had for the band, mm-hmm. you know, a mic mixer. And, um, and we recorded a couple of demos. And I made an appointment to play those demos for Nat. And interestingly enough, just as a, a quick side, the day that I had uh, the appointment to play these demos for Nat, anybody from that time will know exactly what I'm talking about. But what happened was that was the day when the whole East Coast had a blackout. Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember that. Uh, I, was, I was living there uh, at the time, yes, oh, yes. Okay, well, that was the date, so obviously I didn't get to do it then, but I got got to do it a few days later. Um, so I lugged my tape recorder to Nat's apartment on the Upper East Side in, in New York, and I had uh, the tape recorder, and this is before little devices that we now have. You know, this was a tape recorder. I had a lug. It was heavy. Um and I had wires to plug it into Nat's stereo system. And I also brought a pair of stereo headphones. Now, stereo headphones were comparatively new at the time. Most people had not heard them. And when I was setting up, I said, oh, Nat, you know what? Why don't you listen to these stereo headphones? It'll be a new thing for you. You know, you, you hear it a little bit better. Now, Nat had never heard stereo headphones, so I, when I hit play on the tape recorder, and um, Nat is now listening to our demos through stereo headphones, and I saw his eyes kind of go up to the ceiling. I said, ah, you know, so I kind of thought, oh, wow, I think we got him. <laughs> I, th- I think he's, he's inspired. And in, in all fairness, the demos were pretty good, mm-hmm. but we had the advantage of stereo headphones. So Nat got... Um, that inspired him, and he got us some bookings at clubs in the city. And Tom and Marty and I were playing as a trio at this time. Uh, I would go back to Lafayette on occasional weekends, and we would still play. So we came in, and we were playing as a trio, and that got us um, some gigs in the city, uh, got us some auditions for record companies, mm-hmm. And we ended up now with a Columbia record contract, a young producer at Columbia named John Simon, who became our producer. He was interested in us. Uh, we got signed to Nemperer Artists, the, uh, their company, right. uh, Brian with Nat, and that's what got the ball rolling. What, uh, let me ask a couple of questions. First of all, do, what were the demos? Do you remember the names of the songs? Oh, let me think. One was called Money to Burn. Mm-hmm. And it was actually pretty good. Okay, I just happened to look up the date of the blackout. It's November 9th. Being that all the uh, all of Brian Epstein's artists were basically affiliated with Parlophone slash Capital, why did you get why did you end up going with Columbia rather than um than um Capital? Or was it just the way it was? Or I can only tell you that we auditioned for several record companies. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically one of the auditions were for, was RCA, mm-hmm. and they didn't want us, and 
then we and we auditioned for Columbia, and I think it was probably very much because of the association with Brian Epstein that they got enthusiastic, and that you know, and that's what got that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. So it was made. It was a major deal to be associated with Brian Epstein. Okay, okay, all right. Um, so you've you've got you've got the contract. Um, yeah. And so, what happened? Uh, is that when Red Rubber Ball was released? Well, so now we had a contract, and, uh-huh. and um, we needed uh, obviously we needed stuff to record. And right. once again, I don't know why we didn't record Money to Burn as that first one because it was actually pretty good. Um, anyway, we are now at the point of hanging around the village in New York. Okay. And we're now looking for material to record. And uh, Tommy Dawes uh, met a gentleman named Barry Kornfeld, who had a publishing company with Paul Simon. Okay. And that's where we heard Red Rubber Ball. It, we got it on, you know, a, a scratched forty-five uh, record, and uh, it was Paul singing with just a guitar. And Tommy heard it through Barry Kornfeld, and we all listened to it, and everybody thought, "Yeah, that's kind of cute. Let's let's re- let's try that." So that's where Red Rubber Ball came from. Now we did record other stuff, I think, at the same time. Once again, little vague memory there of what we did, but but uh, Red Rubber Ball obviously got recorded, and everybody said that's what's going to come out. Okay, and you also did another Paul Simon song. You did Cloudy too. Yeah, now that was later on. Oh, okay. That was yeah. We did yeah. We did several. We did Cloudy. We did I Wish You Could Be Here. That was a Paul Simon song. Also, okay. did you guys did you guys have any interaction with Paul at that time, or did you did you know him or? Yeah, we did, we did have some interaction, and actually the biggest interaction was um, Tommy, actually because after Red Rubber Ball was recorded, I now went in to the Coast Guard Reserve active duty. Mm-hmm. And Red Rubber Ball actually became a hit while I was on active duty in the Coast Guard Reserve. That must have been, so that was, must have been fun. <laughs> it, well, it was really strange because I, mean, I could give you a few little tidbits on that one. So here I am in uh, boot camp. Mm-hmm. You know where you don't have much. You know you, you, you can make some phone calls, but basically boot camp. You know you're you're gone from the outside world. This right. was in Cape May, New Jersey. Well, I um, was contacted by Nat, who said, "Hey, you know if you can get a pass, we have an opportunity to do Hullabaloo, the TV show <laughs> Hullabaloo," and I begged them. I said, you know, I went to them. I said, oh, please, I have this opportunity. Can you do it? And I'm, I have kudos to the Coast Guard Reserve people. They were really nice on a couple of levels. And in this particular one, they said, okay, you can get a three-day pass. We're going to let you go. So this, I think, is March of 66. Mm-hmm. Now, Red Rubber Ball was recorded already, and I'm in boot camp. And they let me go. I took a bus, and and we recorded in uh, the Hullabaloo was, I think, it was in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was gone for three days. Um, So we 
and whenever you look up the circle red rubber ball and the one that usually shows up on YouTube is that performance. Okay. Was that, uh, um, was that, was it, I think I saw a clip of it last night. It was just the group. There did it was the three of us. Right. Did anybody introduce you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Paul Anka. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The host of that particular show was Paul Anka. Okay. And he, he introduced us as, you know, as, um, you know, uh, as related to the Beatles because of the Brian Epstein connection. And he made a thing out of that. And he says, and here they are with their new song, red rubber ball. And it was a really, it, it was, it went really well. They okay. set us up nicely. Um, we sang along with the record. So when you when you see that performance, you are hearing the record, but you're also hearing some of our live voices singing along with it. And you hear a little bit, I think, of the audience clapping along. That's my recollection of how that how that went. But that was a real, you know. That was a great way to introduce Red Rubber Ball to the country. It was great. Mm-hmm. Was that the? Uh, did you guys also do Shindig at at, at, at a later time or? Not? No, never did Shindig. And the thing that really I'm disappointed about, as I think back, is I don't understand why we never did Bandstand. Ooh. Because. It was it was a logical thing. We had a hit record. How could we not have done Bandstand? Anyway, we didn't. You were never approached by by Dick Clark to do it. Well, personally, no. But whether Nat was because Nat manned the you know the mm-hmm. office in New York, you know the uh, you know Brian was in and out. Nat was kind of the hands on guy okay. usually, and I don't know if he was ever approached or not. Yeah, I don't don't know that because that would have been you would have been natural. That I mean, that would have been. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. it was. It, I I can't understand why we never did. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay, so you've got the you've got the record. It's being played on the radio. Now, how did the touring thing with the Beatles come up? Well, this is another good one. At mm-hmm. least I get a kick out of it. So here I am. I'm still in Coast Guard boot camp. Now, no, excuse me. Now boot camp ended, and once again, thank you, Coast Guard. Because everybody from my week of boot camp, when we got out of boot camp, they went on a Coast Guard cutter, which means you're gone. You right. know, you're out to sea and, and you're gone. And I begged them. I said, please, can you get me somewhere in New York where I can, you know, not be gone? And I think, and I even offered, I said, and you know what, and we'll play at the officers club, whatever you need, we'll, we'll do that. And they did, you know, they said, okay, they put me on a buoy tender on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. So I am now on a buoy tender, washing pots and pans, mess cook on a buoy tender. And at night, I would take the ferry, go into the city, and we'd record. And sometimes I was up all night, I'd get back just in time to, you know, sign in and be on duty and wash pots and pans. And I was able to get off most weekends where we could play. So... Once again, thank you, Coast Guard. And my, you know, I recollect my experience is kind of nice, you know. So, anyway, we now find out because, 
yes, I'm on the I'm on the the, the buoy tender, but I'm also back and forth in New York. So there's communication back and forth, mm-hmm. and we find out that we have been invited to do the Beatles tour. Right. The Beatles tour started a month before I was getting out. So they were actually in the process of trying to replace me for for the Beatles tour because how could they turn the Beatles tour down, you know? Right. Anyway, I I my analogy for this is you all heard of Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame. Oh yes. Where you know, and it's kind of like if you're having your 15 minutes of fame, it's kind of like everything goes right. Well, in this case, we were in, evidently in the middle of Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame, and everything went right because what happened was the government decided that six months was now going to be five mm-hmm. out of the blue, which means I got out in time to do the Beatles tour. I didn't have to ask for any favors or anything. It's like I was out. We were able to do the the Beatles tour. So that was a thrill. So that's how – so we got invited. I was able to do it. And in this case, it was myself, Tom, Marty, and Earl, who was in medical school, now had the summer off. And he was still our uh, keyboard player, at least officially. And um, so it was the four of us. Okay, and we did the whole tour. Yeah, and so uh, at what uh, what position did you have on the bill? Where did you where did you come in? In other words, who... I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what I'm here's what I'm going to say because this is also there's some memories that are really clear and some that are not. I think that we maybe were not immediately before them. It may have been the Ronettes that followed us. Because, and I'm thinking maybe they wanted to break up all guys, you know, and have some girls before the the Beatles came on. But mm-hmm. uh, not sure. I'm actually not sure. But I can tell you that because I remember this, I remember pretty clearly when we went on at the first performance, and this was in Chicago. Uh, and we were so afraid to go on because it's like, oh, they're just going to yell for the Beatles. We want the Beatles. Boo. Get them off. Get them off. Mm-hmm. And we went on and we were so pleased to hear the reception because we did actually have two hit records at the time. Red Rubber Ball was, you know, had peaked and Turn Down Day was just coming up. And everybody whooped and hollered and cheered, and it was actually pretty cool. We had a really nice reception, and it was a successful performance. So, yeah, it was great. What you are about to hear is an audience recording of a portion of the circle playing Red Rubber Ball live in Toronto in 1966. Um, The quality is not very good, and we had to boost the level for you to hear it better, but this is just an example of the circle playing live on the Beatles tour. We thank Don Daneman for allowing us to use this. (laughs) 
says uh, in Wikipedia, um, when you played Dodger Stadium, the other acts were Bobby Hebb, the Ronettes, and the Remains. Is that? Yeah, and that was the the whole tour. Was that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so they, that's correct. And yeah. they, and they also said you played at Candlestick uh, when the for that for that show. Uh, yeah. Well, it, we we did the whole tour. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So any any of those tours we were on. Yeah. Did you have any interaction with the Beatles on those on those nights? Oh yeah. Yeah. The 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 first interaction was on the plane before we had met them. Mm-hmm. And so here we are we're on the fir- this is the first plane and I it, I guess it was from New York to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And the entire tour like the bands band support people and press people were in the same plane with the Beatles behind a wall in the back. So we're like, oh, are we going to meet them? Are they going to come out? What's going on? And, you know, I'm I'm sitting next to Nat Weiss and bandmate Tommy Dawes, and we were towards the front of the plane, and we keep looking back. Anyway, finally, well into the flight, the door opens, and I actually do this in the show with a big dramatic gesture. The door opens, and my arms go wide. There's Paul. And, you know, we are, you know, we're like, <laughs> okay, let's be cool, you know. So Paul, Paul turned out to be a really nice guy and whenever you see him in any interviews he does or anything like that that's kind of how he is he's just very jovial and smiley and you could see he's shaking hands and he's talking to people some obviously he knows and some he's meeting for the first time just nice guy anyway he finally gets to us now nat knows him and he uh introduces us don daneman meet paul mccartney and you know, got to shake hands, a couple of words back and forth, you know, short interaction. Mm-hmm. Tommy Dawes, meet Paul McCartney, same thing. And then Paul, well, okay, good to meet you guys. We'll see you around. And off he goes back behind the wall. And Tommy and I talked and analyzed every little word that God said. <laughs> like, why couldn't we have been cooler and make him talk longer, you know, like that? But. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yes, we did meet him later on, and we got to hang out, and it was just, you know, general chit-chat with hanging out with them. Did you find um, uh, the other guys just as um, just as nice to get along with, too? Yeah, actually, it was all, you know, very pleasant. I mean, the uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Let's see, the first uh, meeting uh, where we actually met them in uh, the locker room. They actually invited us back. Uh, it was the official invitation. Now, this was, I don't think this took place until about the third show. Mm-hmm. So we had now seen them on stage, um, and obviously, obviously from right backstage or right in front, you know, depending on the venue. But um, So we had now seen them, but so far we had only met Paul. And now we actually got a formal invitation. The boys will see you now. You know, <laughs> come on back. Um, so for, for my personal recollection is, you know, Don Daneman meet Ringo. Don Daneman meet John. Uh, Don Daneman, here's Paul again, you know. Um, so the, 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 uh, I ended up actually having a lovely conversation with George, who turns out to be just a warm, sweet, 
guy, you know, mm-hmm. who who is very comfortable sharing his own stuff and and comfortable listening to you and who you are and all. And we we got into a conversation where he basically shared um, that you know I'm still pinching myself. I can't mm-hmm. believe that you know this is happening. (laughs) You know, I mean, even though this is now, because they're now a couple of years into their, you know, their celebrity-ness. And, but he was, he didn't forget, you know, he was like, yeah, I'm just this guy from Liverpool. And, you know, it's just amazing what's happening. And, you know, you're telling me like, you know, yeah, you guys went to college and you were a college band and you're now having this success. Good luck. And it was, it was a, he was a really, Sweet guy, you know, just warm, you know, he would look you right in the eye, we could look each other right in the eye, and we're just two guys, like, in this thing here, and it's really cool. That um, um, Did that conversation have any, um, was that the, the the ground for you guys later doing I'm Happy Just to Dance With You on the Neon album? No, actually, um, the the conversation was not specifically related to that. It's just that we're, we were looking to, you know, we're always looking to record stuff. And, um, you know, we thought this would be an interesting uh, thing to record. And uh, actually, we, we had, a, and I think, wait a minute, I'm going to, I have right in front of me here mm-hmm. the albums. And I just got to, I'm going to check something. Wait, wait. Uh, Money, cloudy. How can we leave it in this fire? Big little woman. I know that we had somewhere we had comments from Paul McCartney about um, changing. You know, all the key changes in Happy Just to da- in Happy Just to Dance with You. Oh, okay. <laughs> because we did. We had we we had a whole bunch of. It doesn't matter if I'm happy. I'm looking at the Neon album. Yeah, you you did. You did. Your version was not a straight ahead version. It was. It it, you you really reworked it a little bit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yes, it is on the Neon album. (laughs) Right. But somewhere there was there was somewhere I know that we had some conversation with Paul McCartney about. Boy, you did all those key changes on <laughs> Happy Just to Dance with You. We had a, a little bit of laugh on that. You know, conversations with John Lennon always were on the along the lines of, "Well, guys, have you ever learned? Have you learned to spell yet?" Because it was John that gave us our name. Here we are in the uh, in the studio, and this is the early days of the Columbia record contract. So here we are, new Columbia record contract, uh, management contract. Um, with Nemper, you know, uh, Brian Epstein and, and Nat, and we still needed a name. We were still the Rondells at Lafayette College. Okay. And now, so what's what's our name going to be? Uh, so we're in the studio, and Brian comes up to me. He says, oh, Don, I'm going to try and imitate Brian. I can't, <laughs> I mean, obviously, he doesn't sound quite like this, but I, it's right. fun for me to try and, you know, once again, a very gentlemanly uh, delivery. Mm-hmm. Oh, Don, uh, take a look at this. And he, and he hands me his business card. And I see on the business card, it's a, it's a regular business card. It says Brian Epstein on it. Um, he says, no, 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 turn it over. I turn the card over, and it's like 
it, there's some scribbling on it. Sir, Kurt. No, I'm sorry, Brian. What am I reading here? He says, oh, Don, this is your new name. And it's the circle. And as you see, it's the funny spelling. And it was, uh, you know, when I was back in Britain, I asked the boys, as they were, the, the Beatles were lovingly referred to as the boys. Right. I asked the boys, hey, we have a new American group and we need an interesting name. Anybody have any ideas? And it was John that came up with the circle. And as you can imagine, you know, you know John's mind. He's the one that came up with the funny spelling. Right. And so here I am with this card in my hand that probably is worth, I don't know, thousands of dollars today to have that card. That went in the trash the next day. I'm so annoyed at myself for that. But I've, anyway, but we found out one interesting thing since, because I've been telling this story for years, you know, about how we got it, and it's true. But we actually found one addendum to the story and this was last year, let me think about this, in, uh, I think it might have been June, it was in Charlotte at a Beatles convention, actually, mm -hmm. that we attended. And the fella who was, they ran the video of Hullabaloo, since I was there, you know, they, right. they, they ran this, the video of the Hullabaloo show. And we got to chatting with the guy who was running the video, who who was a Beatles fan, it turns out. You know, he was there running the video, but he also was a Beatles fan. And he told us, and we did not know this, that one of the Beatles albums that were uh, that had been recently um, released, and I'm not sure which one it was, but it was one of the huge big albums, everybody knows, um, one of the possible names for the album was The Circle, or A Circle. It had the word circle in it. And so we realized that John had that circle in his head. And he, so he, he, he put that into, let's, why don't we name this group the, the Circle and give it a funny spelling. So that was, that was a new thing that came up, which we, we didn't realize. But anyway, that's how we got the name. The Circle came from John presented to us by Brian in the studio at, at, at Columbia Records Studios. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's yeah. a, that's a great that's I mean, a great story. you know, it is. You know, the Beatles connection that we have is so cool, and it is so fun to talk about it, it, it so many years later when – you know, so many people still love the Beatles, and you know they're they're still in our age range, and even through the whole age range, right. they're so great. And the fact that we had that association, very cool, very cool. What was it like standing on a stage having all those girls scream? Um, I mean, because I'm because you know they were screaming not only for you guys, but they were you know, but just uh, what was it like standing on that stage playing? To, to that audience? Well, um, I, I, I'm going to answer your question a little differently. Here's, here's a little take of Girls Screaming. This is, I'm going back, this is the first concert. Um, we had finished performing, and the Beatles were now coming on stage, and I am standing, this was, uh, I believe it was a hockey arena. Anyway, it was the type of arena, or basketball, you know, where mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a long, sh you know, shape, it's, and it was inside. So the stage is toward the end, and I was standing 
just backstage off a touch to the side, but basically right backstage. And I can now look right down on the Beatles and look right out at the audience. And two things that, uh, that really just struck me. Um, the, the, the noise level was so loud and contained because it, it was inside. It, the, the noise couldn't go up to the sky. It was inside, so it would go up, bounce down. It was really very loud. And it was so emotional. And I'm looking next to, there was a lady standing next to me. I didn't know her, but I'm guessing she was from the press corps. Um, a little older than me, I'm guessing she was maybe mid-30s or so. Mm-hmm. And she was basically just crying. You know, tears just streaming down her face. It was just the emotion of the whole thing. Mm. But the other thing, when you talk about girls screaming, as I looked out to the audience, I want you to picture the Wizard of Oz back behind the stage with an electronic machine where all he had to do was push a button and an electric shock would go out to various seats in the audience. Mm-hmm. And you, would, you could look out and just see, as I looked out, just nonstop, bump, 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 bump. Girls would just leap out of their seats <laughs> wow. as if they had an electric shock. Like the Wizard of Oz, he pushed that button, he pushed that one. As far as I could see... And when you're backstage, you can't see that far, but I could see into the audience. I just, you know, jump, 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 jump. Just an amazing experience of watching the emotion of this event. Very cool. By the time you got to San Francisco, um, did, were you aware that they had become dissatisfied with touring and that that was probably going to be the very last live show they did? Yeah, we we actually did have a subtle awareness of that, and it it was one of the things was I know that George had mentioned something about being tired of touring, and he was actually taking pictures. And what we got to understand from him was like, you know, maybe this isn't going to happen anymore, and just going to have some personal pictures of this. So yes, we we did have a sense that that might be the case. Yeah, they had. It was mentioned. Did you take a lot of pictures? No. (laughs) Here's where we made a huge mistake. We thought that we didn't want to be looked at by the Beatles as like fans, you know, silly fans, you know, Mm -hmm. taking advantage of the fact that we were now with them. So, for instance, on the last plane ride of the tour after Candlestick. The last plane ride where everyone was together was everyone was being left off back in L.A. Mm -hmm. So on that last plane ride, everybody took pictures with the Beatles, and they all, and they were very comfortable to pose for pictures. You know, everybody was taking pictures except us. (laughs) We didn't take pictures. (laughs) So, what can I tell you? And I... You know, I know that um, I haven't done it a lot personally, but people that I'm associated with, people as far as, you know, the revival circle, people involved in that, um, they have scoured uh, the Internet and places and all. Are there any pictures, you know? So I can tell you there is um, one couple of nice pictures in a Beatles book. It's a book on the, the 
basically the history of the Beatles with lots of pictures. Um, and the the pictures by a, a, a gentleman named Bob Bonus, who I do remember. Oh, yes. I think he was... Do you know him? No, I don't know him. I mean, he's passed on, but I, I know the book yeah. you're talking about. The a great book. Yeah, it's a great book. Anyway, we are actually in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a picture of, uh, you know, um, there's a picture of Earl and I on, on stage, on the stage, and there's a picture of Tom and Marty, and you can see the Beatles' drums. So at least there's some proof that, yes, we were there. And since then... Um, some folks have come up with there's a picture and I I think it's in LA but basically here here it is here here I am leaning on, on the ground this is on the ground leaning against the stage looking towards the camera and here's George walking across hmm. as if like they're going to they either just finished or they're now going to perform okay and so so there's at least me and George. Now, I'm not with him, I mean, in all fairness, but I'm there. There I am, looking towards the camera. Here's George on the ground, walking across as if he's, like, either they're just finished or they're going on. And then there's another picture where you can see me from the back. Now, this is looking up at the stage. The Beatles are now on stage performing, and there I am. Uh, my back is to the camera, but you can see it's the same guy. You know, the same. I haven't had the same clothes on, so you can you can clearly see it's me looking up at them. So, so far, as far as I know, at least that's as good as we're going to get of any pictures with the Beatles on tour. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. we were jerks. <laughs> um, there Very are, silly. <laughs> there are there are tapes of the. Of, of se- several of the shows on that tour, but specifically the the San Francisco show, and one of the things that Paul says in the audio is that it was very cold, which is not surprising because if you've ever been to, which I have, to Candlestick Park at night, it gets very very cold there. Do you remember how cold it was at Candlestick? I remember chilly. I don't remember, like, cold as in really, really cold. No, I don't remember. I remember chilly. But it was doable. I mean, you went on and you performed. And once you're performing, it can be pretty cold and you kind of warm up. Mm-hmm. So, that that's a, yeah, that that's my sense of it. Yeah, it was like foggy cold. Okay. So, the tour, the tour ends. And um, <coughs> what happened? What happened with you guys after that? Uh, you... Um, you guys uh, did other albums after after uh, Neon. Here's here's my sense uh-huh. of after the Beatles tour. We just we we just talked about the 15 minutes of fame, right? My sense is that that was the beginning of the 15 minutes of fame were over, and. Just as an example, the first job that we played was, uh, I think it was Mansfield, Ohio, at a club, and almost nobody showed up. It was really like a shock, because here we had just played these thousands and thousands of, of people, and we're now in Mansfield, Ohio, at a club. 
that you know maybe it would have held three to five hundred something like that, and there were just maybe thirty people there, something like that. That was that was a shock. So I know that uh, we definitely continued to record, and I remember when we were recording uh, Neon, we really thought that this was really good, and this is a this is a really good album, and we have gotten you know we get. Uh, feedback now that yeah it was there there's really some nice recordings there but here's my take on um getting hit records and fame and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um in the mid 80s a small uh record company got the license to release circle stuff now of course this is all now oldies of course um, are you talking about and, sun, are you talking about Sundays? Yeah, Sundays. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. Sundays. Yeah, they they um, so they got the license from Columbia, now Sony, to um, release uh, and they do they specialize in the, these oldies releases, right? And they wanted comments, you know, like here's here's the first CD we're putting out. No, it was on, actually I think the first thing was cassettes. It was still cassettes before CDs, and. They sent me a cassette, and they wanted comments. And um, my real take at that time was, been there, done that, hardly even interested. But I thought, all right, let me, uh, let me. They want a comment. I'll give you, give you a comment. So I had a Sony Walkman, um, and I had the cassette that they gave me, and I, I. Um, on a plane ride with nothing else to do, I thought, let me listen to this. So I put on my headphones, I turn it on, and the first thing, Red Rubber Ball comes on. They did it in somewhat chronological order. Red Rubber Ball comes on, and I had an epiphany in that I always thought Red Rubber Ball was cute, but I didn't think that much of it. You know, I was very pleased that it was a big hit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it came on, and the first thing I hear, the, the lead guitar and the organ that go against each other in the opening, and it just hit me, oh my God, how recognizable that is. That really, it sounds like a hit. It actually sounds like a hit. And then I heard the the vocal came in, and Tommy and I, well, I, I started out, I should have known you bid me farewell. And then when Tommy comes in, now I know you're not the only starfish in the sea, the blend was just beautiful. And it just hit me. This had the magic ingredients of a hit record. Everything came together in this, and it really, it actually did deserve to be a hit record. And then Turn Down Day comes on, and Turn Down Day, maybe a little less, but similar. Wow. Really recognizable. That was... If I can interrupt, that's the one thing that, oh, yeah. when I was listening to the albums, because I was listening to them this morning, you really notice with you guys, your vocal blend was very, I hate, I hesitate to use the word commercial, but that's really, I mean, given, given the time and given, you know, I mean, given the, the way music was at that time, it was very, you know, that's, you guys had it. You guys nailed it down, you know? Yes. And, and, that, and I, and when I listen now, yes, we really did. I'm amazed. I'm I'm pleased. What was the difference between, and I was thinking about this this morning when I was listening to the album, um, uh, what was the difference, or what would you say about 
making music at that point in time um i mean what was it like could because you're like i say your albums reflected that era um i mean every everybody's albums reflected that era i suppose but you know as a as an artist as a as a musical group um what did you feel you had to do um does that question make sense well here let me i'll, I'll continue with my train of thought and yes it kind of does so anyway continuing to listen here's what i got from from continuing to listen now mm-hmm. to that cassette basically you could hear that the recordings got a little better a little more sophisticated we, we we really we got better we got more professional um but as good as they were they didn't quite have the magic of red rubber ball and turn down day and my conclusion was that you could take the best writers the best musicians the best singers the best producers the best arrangements, the best recording studio, the best of everything. And you can make a recording, and here's what you can guarantee. It will be a really good recording. Here is what you can't guarantee. It will be the magic that sets it apart from others to be a hit record. You cannot guarantee magic, no matter what you do, uh, when you are making a new recording. And sometimes it happens, and sometimes the best still is not that magic to be a new recording. And it was really kind of mind-blowing for me. And what I get was, somehow or other, the, we never quite got the magic, even though the good recordings, you know, people still request some sometimes. But we didn't get the magic of Red Rubber Ball and Turn Down Day as we continued. Did you, um, as you, uh, how many albums did you guys do all together? Was it just? Uh, basically three. We three. did uh, Red Rubber Ball, mm-hmm. Neon, mm-hmm. and then we, we um, right as we were breaking up, we did the music for a movie called The Minx. Okay. And The Minx, my understanding about The Minx is that it never like went anywhere, but it has become somewhat of a cult favorite by people okay. at least some yeah they have put it and that I, is available on and it is available on sundays if anybody's interested and there are other there are there's a, a live album i saw is that is that legitimate that's not a bootleg oh yeah the, the the live album is um that is done by the revival by our circle revival um, and let me let me just well let's skip ahead fifteen. Yeah, let's minutes, get because okay? so, I was going to ask you about that anyway. You guys are now yeah. touring again. You're now performing yes. again. When did that start? Yes. Okay, so this would have been, um, I think it would have started out in 2016, mm-hmm. and basically, bandmate Mike Loskamp, who is the gentleman who replaced Earl when Earl just couldn't stay out of medical school. So in the in the fall of nineteen sixty six, Mike Loskamp became a part of the circle. So okay. he was there. He was there he's he's from nineteen sixty six. And um he never stopped playing in bands from the time the group broke up. 
He had a full-time job, actually. He worked for AT&T, but he never stopped playing in local bands. He went back to Dayton, Ohio, moved to Columbus, and he uh, played in actually many local bands, but one of the bands he played with regularly was a band called the Gas Pump Jockeys. (laughs) One of the gentlemen in the Gas Pump Jockeys is Pat McLaughlin, who you have been in touch with. Who I've been in touch with, yeah. Obviously, setting this up. Yep. Pat McLaughlin, I call him the go-getter guy. He also, he was a sales manager at AT AT&T, actually, and successful. And he's retired from there. And he, realizing that Mike Loeskamp had been with the circle, he thought, why can't we be the circle? Why can't we go, you know, many bands, you know, some of the bands that go out under the name of 60s artists, there's not even any original, but at least here we got one guy. And uh, a, an agent friend of his said, why don't you get one more guy and we'll book you as the circle. So Pat actually had a really hard time tracking me down for some reason. It was, it's really kind of funny. Pat actually bought a program to track people down. Mm-hmm. And he could not track me down. Now, I get fan mail now from as far away as Poland and Russia mm-hmm. and to my home. So these people track me down. But, but Pat couldn't find me. Anyway, finally, with a, a whole thing, he, he, they finally tracked me down and we got in touch. And they asked me, hey, would you be willing to be a part of the of a revival? You know, like, can we be the circle again? And I basically am comfortably retired um, from my commercial music career. And, and um, I'm sitting in the living room with my wife and on this phone call on speakerphone. And, you know, and she actually gave me the thumbs up, you know, like, yeah, Don, you should do that. That would be really cool. So, and they were really very accommodating and lovely people, this whole band. They flew me to Columbus, and Pat and his wife Sandy met me, and we had coffee, and we liked each other right off the bat, really good people. And then I met the band, and the band was, everybody was evidently really nervous because, well, what's it going to be like when he meets Mike again? Because Mike and I hadn't talked in literally 50 years. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so we go to... Um, bandmate Don White's house. He is the lead guitar player of the current revival, and he has a rehearsal studio in his basement. And we were gonna, you know, meet and, you know, like have a meal and then play, see how we did. Uh, so anyway, so it's like they're all kind of hovering around, and then there's Mike, and like, what's going to be when Don meets Mike? Well, I gave him a hug. <laughs> you know, how you been? You know. So uh, anyway, so the band turns out to be like a real family you know the wives are all involved the guys are friendly it was really a a, a lovely atmosphere and then when we played it worked out really well now of course they knew red rubber ball and turned down day so that was easy and one of the things that um really sort of set the bar for like wow we really can be the circle and this is really cool and i didn't realize this myself but um when when um i thought one of one song that i thought would be a really cool song to do was the 59th street bridge song feeling groovy right and and the the story there is we actually had an opportunity to do that 
we were in the studio one day, and uh, Simon and Garfunkel are just finishing up, and we're going in. And Paul comes up to me, and he says, hey, you know, Don, there's a, a song we are recording on this album, and I think it would be perfect for you guys. Uh, and if you want to do it, you could do it immediately. The album won't come out for a while, you know. So anyway, so engineer pushed the button. We hear the song, and everybody is bopping around in the studio, and it does sound like a hit. And then the song ends, and the biggest brain freeze of the 20th century then cuts in, where we looked at each other and we thought, yeah, it is really good, but not now. Maybe we do it in six months or something like that. So. So we didn't do it, and then in the show, you know, we actually play it, and it's like, uh, you know, so ladies and gentlemen, I'll let you decide, did we make a mistake or not? And then we do our own version of Feeling Groovy. You know, had we done it, here's what it would have sounded like. So anyway, the thing that, like, I never thought about was when I said, well, let's do Feeling Groovy, and I start playing it and, and singing it the way I do it. And Pat came up, you know, he says, oh, my God, now I see where the circle sounds like the circle. Just you doing that with you strumming the guitar the way you do it, that sounds like the circle. So um, anyway, so that's that's part of our show. And we do it as uh, uh, as part of uh, a live uh, performance that we did. Uh, and the performance, if you want me to keep going, sure. is, um, okay, so now here's, here we are, we're now going to revive the circle. Mm-hmm. And we were told, well, if you actually want to get booked, you know, yes, it's a hit group, so you have, yes, you're legitimate, you can get booked, but you've got to show that you still can perform. So we were told you need to make a promo video and don't shoot it on your cell phones. <laughs> you know, it has to be like a real professional job. Right. So, once again now, so this is going back to Pat McLaughlin, go-getter guy for the band. He uh, booked a theater. He booked a professional video crew and a sound guy. And we did a concert, which was recorded and filmed. So, now, we were in all candor... We were not perfect. It was the first time we had played together, you know, live, you know, in a in, in a theater. Lots of mistakes, but fixable. And so we came up. We did the promo video, and I actually mixed it myself. Um, and I I know how to mix from all my commercial careers, and I, I have a studio at home, and I can do this. And and I fixed it, and it's actually pretty good. And if you listen to the live album. I'm pretty proud of how it it, it turned out. So uh, anyway, so we had the um, uh, we now had the the promo video, and we were ready to go on the road. Now, still, we needed a booking agent, and we had to you know get some you know concerts under our belt where people knew we were okay, we were good, and the first concert that we did, um, which uh, it it came about kind of by a fluke in that it was in Lakewood, New Jersey, and this is now in 2017. I think this might have been early fall of Mm -hmm. of 2017. And 
the love and spoonful had some kind of problem and they had to, they 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 were they were the headliners but they had to cancel because of some kind of problem and our agent had su- suggested to the promoter hey why don't you put the circle in you know now we are um we couldn't be the headliners but we added to the thing and he changed the show around i think the big headliner was gary puckett and the union gap and the vogues were on it and let me think who else was on it don't remember but it was a good concert and we opened the show and we were great you know it was we were short you know, we played four songs. We had a standing ovation, and the promoter was really impressed. His name is Joe Marioni, and we've become really good friends with him now because he's hired us a, a lot. He's mm-hmm. like we're part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got the ball rolling, and we now tour. Yeah, we're we're out and about. And you were – I know you were supposed to play both of the Beatle conventions um, before – we're uh, to – um, let everybody know we're taping this in uh, at the end of March um, during the coronavirus uh, situation. So your shows have been postponed, but you are going to play. You you've um, both of the Beatle Fests have been rescheduled for the same weekend, which is kind of interesting. Um, October ninth to eleventh uh, because of John Lennon's birthday. You're playing Abbey Road on the River. Correct? Or are you are you going to play? Yes. The, are you going to play both, or just Abbey Road on the River? No, it's it's going to be just Abbey Road because the it's a conflict. We just you know we can't do it. So evidently, it is my understanding that we are um, so we're doing Abbey Road, and it is my understanding that next year in March we will be doing the New Jersey uh, Beatles convention. Okay. Okay. So we 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 are doing that, and we also are doing um, uh, for the second year in a row. Actually, we're doing the Charlotte Beatles convention. In, okay. I think it's June. Yeah, we're doing okay. that in June. Okay. So, but but you do you are going to be doing? Are you going to be doing other gigs besides those Beatles conventions? Yes. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I don't have it in front of me exactly, but I know we yeah there are definitely are, are other bookings that we have. Okay. And um is there a uh, uh I think Pat was talking to me about uh, some kind of uh a record you guys were recording. Are you are you guys recording a record now or Yeah, we're recording a new album. Okay. Actually. And this actually came about by a photographer named Daniel Costin mm-hmm. who actually he showed up one day um, we didn't know him. He 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 uh, he lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. He showed up one day at um, an outdoor concert we were doing. Don't remember the date, but it was a summertime outdoor concert. He says, "Hey, do you, I'm a photographer. Do you mind if I take pictures?" And he took pictures, great pictures, very good photographer. And he um, det- and he decided he he actually has become a friend of the group. Now, so we hang out with him. He, you know, he'll come sometimes where he can to meet us. And he's actually been to my house. We had him over with, uh, um, you know, actually we we set up a dinner. My, this is my wife's idea. We, we, she loves to entertain. So we we set up a dinner with um, Pat, 
and Sandy, Pat and his wife Sandy, Circle Pat and his wife Sandy, Flash Phelps, who we've gotten to be good friends with, right. 60s DJ on uh, Satellite. Sirius XM? Yeah, Sirius XM okay. with Flash. And then Joe Marioni, the um, uh, promoter that we've gotten really friendly with, right. and Daniel, you know, the photographer that we've gotten really friendly with. And we had a lovely time. Um, uh, anyway, Daniel has decided on his own, being now a friend of the group, he says, you guys have to record a new album. And, you know, we weren't particularly interested in recording a new album, but spurred on by Daniel, we actually are starting to do that, and we'll we'll see what comes out of it now. We'll, you know, it's, it's been a fun time, the little bit that we have now started to record. Um, it, it's an interesting bonding experience with the band, because... You know, you know, playing together is different from recording together. There's kind of a different vibe, and uh, we're having a good time doing it. So we'll see what comes out. Is your music um, has your music developed? I should uh, is it is it different? Is it going in different areas than what you did uh, before, or are you basically staying along the same lines, or or what? No, it's. I think well. Not everything. It's not in stone yet, but it to, it looks like to me, it's going to be somewhat eclectic. Hmm. And what Daniel said to us, he said, "You know what? You guys should record. You, you should think of this as doing like suppose the Circle recorded a new album in 1968. You know, like mm-hmm. what might you have done? Right. And so we're you know." So it's not as though we literally have to say, here's 1968, you know, but it's like, what what uh, what interests you um, that might be interesting to record and, mm-hmm. and to hear? You know, I, we, we actually did Feel and Groovy. I was going to ask um, you, if, I was going to ask you if you yeah. uh, were going to do that. So. Yeah, well, it is already on the live album and it will be, yeah, the studio version will be on this because we, we did do that. Um, we we actually had a request from some folks um, to redo Red Rubber Ball and Turn Down Day, you know, similar to the originals, but a new recording. So we did that. Um, I know that uh, bandmate Mike Loskamp has written a few songs that he thought would be an interesting thing for the album, and they are actually not what you would think of as original the original circle type stuff, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit Mike kind of Mike has a, a a sort of a Steely Dan influence, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they turns out. They're they're partially done now, and it, that that'll be sort of interesting when to are, see how how that goes. But when are you looking to? Uh, uh, have you got a timeline for the release of it yet, or no? No, no, there's not an actual timeline, um, and we'll we'll just kind of take it as it comes, you know, as we're able to get together and come up with here's what we want to record. So far, it's in the works, but no, there's not a not, there's not a like a release date or a timeline to it. Okay, now you speaking of revivals, you've done something on your own, and it's just come out in the past uh, few days, I think. Um, yeah, and you've done a uh, a new kind of a new version of Red Rubber Ball related to the coronavirus situation. Talk about that. Well, basically, here we are quarantined, Mm -hmm. and um, I had been talking to 
um, Sandy, Sandy McLaughlin, Pat's wife, about, you know, maybe I should just record a video, you know, saying, hey, guys, you know, hope everybody's safe and well. And, you know, we're so sorry that things have gotten canceled and we're so looking forward to getting back. And so thinking about that, I thought, you know, I could do something better than just maybe more interesting or more fun. Let me see what I can come up with. And so I was just, um, my wife actually had had been asking me, Don, you know what? You should record a song for the grandkids since we're not seeing them, you know, like everybody's quarantined. And she goes and she's coming up with, you know, um, things that I could sing. So we, you know, we came up with, um, some people have done like the wheels on the bus, with, but with Corona lyrics, you know, mm-hmm. well, oh, no, no, excuse me, not wheels on the bus. Um, the, the baby shark, baby shark, that one, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a kid song. Every, everybody knows. So instead it was like, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. So here I am preparing to do, this wash your hands song i was going to set up put my cell phone and you know set it up with some nice background in my studio and while we're at it i thought hey maybe i'll do this red rubber ball thing and i'll come up with corona lyrics to red rubber ball so while i'm set up to do the kids let me do a red rubber ball thing which will you know satisfy sandy who asked me to do a video and see how that turns out so that's basically the origin from it. So I'm sitting around, we're watching TV, and I'm thinking, well, let's see, Corona is here, it's blah, 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 like that. <laughs> so so there you go, we have the coronavirus video, <laughs> the, the red rubber ball coronavirus video. And it's really cute, uh, and I'm uh, thank you uh, uh, for allowing me to use the audio, because we're going to include the audio in in this show. Um it, but it, yeah, it's it's very it's very nice. It's very nicely done. Well, thank you so much. You know, it was really it was fun to do, and if you know, I, I really I, I'm so pleased that it turned out okay because you never know if you're just sitting with a guitar with a cell phone video, but it actually turned out okay. So yeah, thank you. One one thing that I was going to ask you when you mentioned your grandkids, um, uh, how I remember the stories of hearing how. Um, Julian Lennon was aware of, you know, of John being a Beatle. How aware are, are, are how aware are your grandkids of you and, and your musical past? Uh, do they know that their grandfather is a star? They don't really, they, they don't quite get star so much as, uh, you know, grandpa plays guitar and sings. They, you know, they, they, they certainly know that. Do they know when the uh, song comes on the radio that they know that's grandpa grandpa's song? Um well, it, of course they're not going to be listening to the 60s channel, but uh, but I know that um our daughter, you know, will have it on sometimes and and it'll come on. So yeah, they're they're aware of that. Cool. They they have a, a a rough awareness of the fact that grandpa had a hit record. Well, that, yeah, that's got to be that's got to be cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Here is Don Daneman of The Circle and his update of Red Rubber Ball that we mentioned in the program. Hey guys, Don Daneman of The Circle, sitting home, quarantined like everybody else and thinking, I need to have a little bit of fun on something. So 
What do you think about this? Corona is here. She invaded our space. But we're going to wipe her out by washing hands and face. And that's it for today. We want to give a special thanks to Don Daneman of The Circle for talking with us and giving us such a delightful interview. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook in our Beatles News and Information group. And you can also check out our That's What I Want Beatles Star page for the best Beatle bargains around. We hope you'll be with us next time. Be sure to subscribe. We're available wherever podcasts are, to- are, are told, are sold, are found. There we go. Till next time, this is Steve Marinucci saying... Be seeing you. that one market fab <laughs> <laughs>